the desire to give children a better life. That's, that's one of, of the big enduring themes in stories about why people leave everything they know behind to immigrate to another country. Sometimes the need to escape is desperate and urgent, like in times of war or after a natural disaster. Sometimes the reasons are less immediately dramatic, but urgent nonetheless. There was a time of political turmoil in, in the Philippines, and the president of, at that time was being accused of um, widespread graft and corruption. This is Ida Beltran Lucila, former principal ballerina with Ballet Philippines. She's traveled the world, danced in some of ballet's most challenging roles. The Nutcracker, I did Odette Odile in Swan Lake. We wanted to raise our children in a society of meritocracy, right? So that um, they grew up knowing that the work that they invest in would yield something rather than patronage. Ida and her husband Jojo have three children together. They had spent decades building careers in the performing arts. Jojo was one of the country's leading choreographers. Big productions and you deal with, with thousands of dancers. In my career as a, a choreographer, I did a lot of things for the political figures. So I was involved in choreographing Independence Day for presidents. Ida and Jojo were both at the top of their game when that political turmoil Ida spoke of led them to make the biggest decision of their lives. They moved to Canada. You know, there were some signs that actually showed us that possibly Canada was the right choice for us. And then on that long flight to Canada, that's when we just started to cry and, you know, think about the family and the things that you left behind. On this edition of Countless Journeys, Tina Pitaway brings you their story. From the high-flying world of international dance to the hard realities of starting over in a new land. So in the early years, um, I, I worked in the call center <laughs> for Pizza Hut, <laughs> and my husband was working at Sobeys. It's a story of perseverance and incredible dedication to their children that has ultimately paid off. No regrets at all. <laughs> it's like the phoenix rising. You have to go through fire to be able to rise up to something really great. Countless journeys. The, the plane began to descend, but we had no idea where we were. We noticed in the distance a terminal building with the Canadian flag. And uh, we had to basically fight for our lives. At that time, it was Portuguese women coming to Canada, like my mother. We were coming here to build a better life, but also to help build Canada. Nous sommes venus ici, le Canada nous a donné le meilleur. Alors, donnons au Canada le meilleur. Instead of feeling torn between my two realities, I decided to feel happy wherever I am. Slowly but surely, I came to realize that, hey, I can make something out of this here. J'ai vraiment réalisé la force de ce pays. Everywhere I travel now, there's no place like coming home to Canada.
Welcome to Countless Journeys from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21. My name is Paolo Pietro Paolo, and producer Tina Pitaway is here with me as well. Hey there, Tina. Hey, Paolo. I'm really looking forward to, to getting to know about Ida and Jojo's journey. Uh, you had a chance to speak with them earlier this year. How did you hear about them? Well, I first learned about Ida earlier this year when she was chosen by Canadian Immigrant Magazine as one of the top 25 immigrants for 2021. And her story really captivated me. Yeah, it seems like they, they left a great deal behind to come to Canada. As I mentioned earlier, Ida was a principal ballerina for Ballet Philippines. She was, and, and she and her husband Jojo moved to Canada in 2005 after they'd spent more than two decades building careers in the Philippines. It's it's really quite the story of starting over, and wow, have they also brought so much to their chosen city. My name is Ida Beltran Lucila, and I'm from Edmonton, Alberta. I was born in Manila, Philippines, and I grew up in Quezon City, which is the capital of the Philippines. Um, I come from a family of uh, six sisters and one brother. I come from a family of educators as well. My mother, um, as a young girl, wanted to do ballet, but my grandmother made her do tap dance because that was the time of the Shirley Temple. Uh, that was her frustration. And so um, when she had daughters, <laughs> she made sure that we took ballet classes. And she even actually um, constructed a ballet studio in our family compound. So <laughs> it was a very um, artistic environment. It became like a hub for the ballet world in the Philippines because a lot of the dancers and ballet teachers would congregate and rehearse in that dance studio. I remember meeting foreign ballet teachers who turned out to be artistic directors of European dance companies and, you know, encouraging me in into my ballet career. I, I started ballet at the age of nine. As a young girl, I did not realize the magnitude of those words of wisdom from these um, famous and acclaimed um, dance artists. And then later on, as a teenager, the dance has become an outlet for my teenage angst, for my creativity, a form of expression for me. And then later on, I wanted to get into it seriously to be able to expand my artistic horizons. And I also wanted to travel. Well, that's, that's, that's quite an auspicious beginning for an aspiring artist. Absolutely. To, to get in at Ballet Philippines uh, as a 19-year-old. Uh, and the Ballet Philippines, I should say, is a, a government-funded dance company that really um, works as a way of promoting the Filipino culture within uh, the Philippines and around the world. You get to live different worlds in, in the different ballets and different roles that you perform. And then the immediate fulfillment when when you hear the applause. And then there's also the other aspect of being able to represent your country in, in festivals, international festivals, and expressing your culture. I found myself dancing lead roles, right? The, the Nutcracker, I did Odette Odile in Swan Lake, which I never imagined myself being able to do because it, I, I'm not tall. I'm not long-legged. And the bonus about having ballets created for you as well, right? Because 
it shows um, how you are perceived by the choreographer and what you can do. I remember in touring, we traveled to Russia. We performed in like the, the theaters in Kirov Ballet. And, you know, we, we meet the dancers of the Kirov and they sort of talk to you in broken English. We try to converse. And the same thing in China, we performed with the Beijing Ballet dancers. And even with a gap in language, there's still that uh, sense of kinship because you're all dancers and you sort of know what each other is going through. When someone does well, you know, the, the, the faces, the expressions, how you support each other, despite the language barrier is so, it really um, impressed on me how universal the, the dance is, right? Regardless of language, it's, it's one, it's a language on its own. Atina, that's a, that's a theme that you, you, you hear so often from artists, isn't it? The way artistic practice enables you to overcome language barriers. And I'm just imagining these, these big tours in Russia, in China, these, these big-time roles. It, it sounds like Ida really was living the dream. Oh, absolutely. As a dancer uh, with those, those really big roles in, in very challenging performances. And as well, she took very seriously her role as a cultural ambassador, which was part of her, her role within Ballet Philippines. So it brought a lot to her life. Uh, and, and not just on the work front, uh, uh, Ballet Philippines is also where she met her husband, Jojo. I'm a part-time choreographer here, but back there in the Philippines, um, very much involved in the performing arts, especially in dance. And so that's my bread and butter there. Jojo kind of fell into the world of dance by accident. He was trying out uh, for the basketball team at the University of the East, which was the uh, university he was attending in Manila. Uh, and he didn't make the cut, but he had a chance encounter uh, with, with a group of dancers who were working out in a training room. So I passed there, and then there was these guys, and they were like... Uh, calling me and then they invited me to try us. I'm going, I don't dance. No, no, it's easy, easy, it's easy. At the time, all men had to enroll in a mandatory two-year uh, reserve officer training course. Now, this dance troupe that Jojo had stumbled upon, they were focused on promoting Filipino traditional dance. Uh, it was funded by the government as part of cultural outreach. And as the dancers explained to Jojo, if he joined the dance company, he wouldn't have to do his two years of military training. It's exempted, and it's offering a full scholarship. So I was like, okay. So I was in my basketball shorts. I went in, and that's history now. So it started my dancing career from then. From you know, we I started the folk dance. So I decided I I, I want to be in this in this world. Now this is this is wild. From, from such a random encounter and also to walk straight out of a failure and into the next open door, just like that in such a random way in his basketball shorts and to have it turn out, right? That's just, that's a remarkable story. Yeah, I loved, I loved hearing that from Jojo. And, you know, he also really loved uh, the physical challenges of training as a dancer, it turned out, uh, as well as learning about the stories and the history behind some of the folk dances uh, that are a big part of the Filipino culture. Uh, Jojo, uh, as we mentioned, eventually landed at Ballet Philippines, where he and Ida met. That was an unexpected one. <laughs> 
especially in a ballet world, right? People wouldn't think you would meet your future spouse in a in a dance company, right? Jojo performed with Ballet Philippines until an ankle injury sidelined him when he was only 25. So what I did is I went into deeper and became a choreographer and a dance director. Now, both Ida and Jojo's careers continued in dance for more than two decades. They had three children, uh, two boys and a girl, and they even found time on the side to start a dance company together, the Chameleon Dance Company. Like the name Chameleon, it blends with the different forms of discipline in dance. We do ballet, we do ethnic dances, we, we do jazz, folk dance and everything. Now, they also held uh, down their full-time jobs in addition to these projects that they took on with their dance company. Um, Ida remained with Ballet Philippines as executive director, and Jojo's work as a choreographer actually led him to a role with the military of all places. I was, during that time, I was the theater director of the Armed Force of the Philippines because they built a theater inside the military camp. I was their first theater director. So with all those generals and everything, so we're like, you know, I, I was talking to them, planning what they should do with the theater. How life is so funny, isn't it, Tina? You know, I'm thinking about how JoJo's dance career kicked off partially as a way of gaining that exemption from mandatory military training. And then that's where he winds up working with the military. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it, it's that connection to the government as well as the military that Jojo really eventually started to feel kind of conflicted about, particularly in and around 2000, 2001. That's when a corruption scandal really engulfed the Filipino government at the time. There was a, a time of political turmoil in, in the Philippines, and they were the current president at that time was being accused of um, widespread corruption and um, he was being impeached. And so at that point, we were imagining my, my children could read uh, the news items and see on TV. And we were watching the trial and my son was asking, uh, I think it was one of the senators, uh, who was questioning the president and my son, my first son, was asking, yeah, he's corrupt. So all these connections, I was thinking that I cannot pass this to my children and everything because this government, you know, it's like scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And I don't want our children to do that. We wanted to raise our children in a society of meritocracy, right? So that um, they grew up knowing that the work that they invest in in their profession would yield something rather than going into a career based on who you know or an environment of patronage, right? So, And that's when we decided that to, to look beyond the Philippines and see where we can bring our family. Like, why don't we just try somewhere else and then when we sort of, you know, when it took seed in our minds that this is what we're going to do, everything just sort of directed towards Canada. And why Canada, Tina? What exactly was directing them toward Canada in particular? 
Well, they didn't have family in Canada, but certainly they knew Canada had a large Filipino population and they'd heard good things about uh, Canada through friends and different connections uh, in the dance world. And then completely coincidentally, soon after applying to move here, uh, their dance company, Chameleon Dance, was invited to perform in Edmonton. So we did go after one year, we we brought our dance company to perform here in Edmonton. One of my projects was having this uh, opening for international events in the sports. I do the opening numbers and everything, just like any Olympics, you know, you have this big productions and you deal with, with thousands of dancers. Now, there was this event in Alberta in Canada, here in Edmonton, the, what they call the Klondike Days during that time. They were featuring countries. And in 2002, they featured the Philippines. That sounds like a pretty great way to experience a country that you're considering moving to uh, for the first time. Uh, I guess it went well. Oh, absolutely. Now, it was it was a kind of a longer visit. Uh, they spent a month in Edmonton, so they really uh, got a chance to get to know the city a little bit, uh, not just in terms of uh, the city itself, but the Filipino community there uh, was really welcoming to them. So they decided to uh, amend their application and switched their choice of city from Toronto to Edmonton on their um, immigration application. So we were much, very much seeing ourselves contributing to the performing arts here and everything. So, yeah, so, okay, let's go. So my family at first were, they were worried as well that it would be difficult. They also had friends who, who tried, who moved here and, and came back, right? And so they knew that we would encounter a difficult time adjusting and building a new life. But at the same time, they had that belief just because they knew that we would we would not get into this lightly, that we we would have given it serious thought. And because um, in this whole journey, we were very spiritual about it. So their journey was delayed uh, somewhat because of 9-11. Um, that sort of uh, put the brakes on the whole application processing uh, for a time. Uh, but finally, they got the green light in 2005. And so everything was such a rush. I did not have the time to even register that we were leaving the country until on the actual drive to the airport. And then that's when I started wondering when I would be back to see, you know, even just the billboards and the roads, the, the shops. And I just realized that what I was seeing at that point might be the last time, right? And I didn't know when I, I would be back to see those things. And then on that long flight to Canada, that's when we just started to cry and, you know, think about the family and the things that you left behind. Oh, I can I can just imagine uh, how, it, how it hits you like a ton of bricks, a, a door you've walked through, a scary door, and that, that moment that you realize that you can't turn back. 
Yeah, especially with with the hectic build up to 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 leaving. I think that's you know pretty common uh, in terms of an mm-hmm. experience. You just suddenly it slow time kind of slows down and you realize what you're leaving behind. You know their experience uh, in the beginning, uh, landing in in Canada and, and being in Edmonton. It was pretty harsh. Yeah. Jojo recalled how when they came to Edmonton the first time as performers, they envisioned starting to work in dance when they arrived. Here in Edmonton during that time, doing the performances, a lot of people, oh, you, you know, you, you, you'll have a good business here. But when we came over, you know, it's not that really. <laughs> I was expecting that I could go easily to the performing arts. So uh i tried to uh apply to the different dance studios and everything like that but the dances here is quite different back there at home but you have to put food on the table so in the early years um i i worked in the call center <laughs> for pizza hut <laughs> and so and my husband was working at Sobeys, right? So he was, you know, arranging produce and it was such a culture shock. I think at that time, I sort of lost my identity, right? Because my identity was so tied with my artistic achievements and not being able to do that here, it was... I, I know now I can say that I sort of lost myself. And so there was a time that, you know, you were just trying to do what you needed to do, right? It, so it was more about surviving than, than thriving. And so when we were given the opportunity to slowly work on different projects in the dance, um, that sort of personally, that sort of sparked back the passion in me. Atina, how many times have we heard this kind of story before? Uh, This is a classic story of high-achieving professionals in their home countries who've got a a life and then then they have to leave for for various reasons, uh, as we've outlined, and then coming to Canada, having to completely reinvent themselves and running into a bit of a brick wall, that, that brick wall of being in a new country, not having those connections, not being able to slip back into your profession and pick it up where you left off. I mean, it's a story that we know in Canada, but to hear it firsthand, it's still so jarring. It really is. Uh, and, you know, because of that kind of experience being so common, uh, the entrepreneurial spirit really plays a, a a big role in Ida and Jojo's story as well. Uh, now, being an entrepreneur is hard. It's not for everyone. Uh, but so many immigrants, uh, just through sheer necessity, uh, mm-hmm. have, they have to make those opportunities for themselves yeah. and take the route of of building a business uh, where they see an opportunity. And that's where so many find success. And so is that what Ida and, and Jojo did? Yeah, they they both continued to work in the service industry for a time. Ida took a government job uh, eventually, uh, and they actually, they revived their chameleon dance company. And so we named, since we were sort of bringing the same repertoire that we did in Manila to Edmonton, our dance company was called Chameleon Dance Edmonton. I worked with the Ukrainian Shumka Ballet for five years as their guest ballet teacher, my my husband choreographed for them too. 
all along these, while we were doing this in freelance work, and so we were helping other organizations and and being more involved in community projects. And that's when I saw that there were so many Filipinos who had thriving artistic careers in the Philippines and are now here, but doing other jobs, not really maximizing their their talent. And so that's when I decided to organize the Philippine Arts Council, mainly to bring all these Filipino artists together, um, encourage collaborations. So it includes mentoring, some workshops with um, students, young artists, and professional ones. Ida and I decided if there's anybody or any group who wants help in in Philippine culture and heritage and everything, we would be very much glad to give our hand and everything and, you know, share what we know. Yeah, maybe that's one also of the purpose of why we, we were here. Uh, it's interesting, you know, to see how not only were they able to to find that niche and resume their careers here in Canada, but then to throw their efforts into helping others. That's also such a classic immigrant theme. You know, networking is so crucial in building a career. Uh, and, you know, when you're in a new country, it's so hard to find that network. What a wonderful support that must be, uh, yeah. what Ida and Jojo have done for anyone arriving in Edmonton from the Philippines. Yeah, absolutely. And because it's such a large community in Edmonton, there certainly was a real need for it because there were so uh, there were so many people who could take advantage of of the networking opportunities. Uh, Ida actually mentioned uh, uh, when I spoke with her that the last census put the number of Filipino Canadians in Edmonton at around eighty thousand, which is hmm. that's a whole city. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and with their seventeenth anniversary uh, of landing in Canada approaching in July, it's really become home for them, not just in the physical sense. It's so funny because my mother was one of the most opposed with our move, and so she was one of the first vis- visitors from my family. A few months after we moved, she came over to visit, and. We thought she would stay for just a couple of weeks because it was winter. She stayed for two months and then she wanted to live here. And so when even when we we would uh, visit the Philippines and a close cousin of mine asked, how does it feel to be home? And I said, well, you know what? I miss the streets, the, the, the parks in Edmonton. And, and that's when I realized that Edmonton was my home. Edmonton became our home, and Manila was a place to visit family. When people ask me, why'd you go? You know, you have a good life there. You have a good career. You and Ida was, you know, where'd you go? It's always for the children, for the children, right? For the children. My eldest, she works with the provincial government. My son is an engineer now. He's an engineer by day and a dancer but at night and everything is really very good. And then our youngest is still uh, finishing his second course, still with us, but he's also very good in the science and everything. So in that sense, the purpose of us migrating, we're very successful. No regrets at all. <laughs> and we knew, I think, when we were going through the tough times, we knew that there was something big at the end, right? That 
it was we had to go through fire it's like the phoenix phoenix rising you have to go through fire to be able to rise up to something really great so yeah <laughs> Oh, Tina, I'm just I'm just so happy to hear how things turned out for Ida and Jojo. It makes you think about all those other folks who've left behind big professions in their home countries, and they're still trying to work things out here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's heartening to hear about Ida and Jojo and how they have been able to make things work. Yeah, Tina, thanks so much for bringing us their story. My pleasure. Thanks, Paolo. This is the sound of Halifax's Flamenco en Rouge, a six-member ensemble that celebrates all things flamenco. What you're hearing is a recording of their live performance of a production called Tierras Oscuras last fall at the Canadian Museum of Immigration. Several of the members of Flamenco en Rouge are immigrants to Canada, including Ruth Passis and Marina Rusakova. Here are Ruth and Marina with their thoughts about why they're drawn to flamenco and what being involved in a group like this brings to their lives. I'm Ruth Passis. I've been here since in Canada since 1990. So coming here is hard, right? You know, I have to have a pastime. You know, I heard flamenco because in the Philippines we're colonized by by Spain for 300 years, right? So flamenco is not new to me. I, you know, fell in love with it the moment I say, okay, why can I try flamenco? And I, I can feel, I can relate to it. My feelings, like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, after classes, then I feel, wow, this is great. To, to dance, it's so good for uh, people, for mind, for brain, and uh, it's a good exercise. My name is Marina Rusakova. Uh, I'm originally from Russia. We came in 92. It was perestroika. It was really bad economical, political situation. I guess we were seeking for more freedom. We love Canada. We're 30 years here. And I'm dancing with Flamenco and Rouge about 10 years now in St. Petersburg. I, even when I was a little girl, I really like um, a painting of Van Dongen, actually. And uh, it's called Red Dancer. It's a flamenco uh, dancer on that uh, picture. And uh, it could be in one point when you look at it, it looks ugly. But it's so much passion. I, I was in dance before and connecting again at my age, right? With people who also dance, you know, I belong to. I feel like, you know, I've made friends. You know, we were closer, yeah, because challenges and success, right? You know, we share that. You can dance until the very old age. All the good flamenco dancers there dancing long, long uh, time. So I hope I will too. Marina Rusakova and Ruth Passis of Flamenco en Rouge of Halifax. 
If you'd like to hear more stories like this one and help new listeners discover this podcast, make sure to rate Countless Journeys on your favorite podcast app or leave us a review. Countless Journeys comes to you from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21, located at the Halifax Seaport. Thanks for listening. My name is Paolo Pietro Paolo. Bye for now.